Bibles to, um, to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9. And starting today, I'm going to um, begin a, a series that's going to take us up until Christmas time. And we're going to talk about uh, the advent of the Lord. Unto us is given. Remember last week when we looked in Colossians chapter 2 and Paul made this statement to the Colossians. He says, as you have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. And the question posed was, do you know the Jesus that you have received? Do you know who this Jesus is? And here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 is one of the greatest prophecies proclaiming the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Isaiah wrote these words, he penned these words about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And we're going to look at this prophecy today, not just looking back at what was a historical fulfillment, but this prophecy was not just fulfilled when Jesus was born. We're going to look line by line, word for word, at this prophecy and see what it declares for us today. Amen? Well, Father, we just thank you for your word, and we ask God that you would open our hearts and open our minds. Lord, by the power of your Spirit, illuminate this word. Let it be truth to us, God. Let it be living to us. Lord Jesus, you said... My words are spirit and they are life. And God, we ask today that your word would be spirit and life to us, to transform us, to conform us to the very image of the Son. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read the scripture together here. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From this time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So here is this prophecy proclaiming this child that will be born, this son that shall be given. And we're going to go through and, and I, we're going to look in depth at these two verses of Scripture. And I really want to encourage you that not to just read the Scripture and to, you know, it's so easy for us to read the Word and to miss and to just pass over things. You know, God on purpose wrote his word the way he wrote it. Men inspired by the Holy Spirit penned these words, but it was the Spirit of God that caused them to write it the way it was. And it's important for us to read the word, to take in the word the way that God intended it to be received. If we do that, Jesus said, it will be spirit and it will be life to us. If we don't do that, we can read this book and it will just be a book. It will just be a letter and it will be dead to us. 
It can be a letter that kills us if we do not capture the spirit of life that it was intended to bring to us. And so as we live and as we come into this season, you know, here once again, it's kind of like Thanksgiving. We set a day aside to celebrate uh, Thanksgiving. You know, everybody's thankful for one day and then we go back to grumbling and complaining. That's not the way it's supposed to be, you know. We're to be thankful every day. Well, the birth of Jesus, the reality, the coming of Jesus should not just be something that we remember or celebrate one time a year. It is something that should be present with us, that we celebrate every day, every moment of every day, because had he not come, we would not have life. Amen? We would be without hope. And so let's look at this prophecy penned by Isaiah the prophet. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now when I read the scripture, I like to ask myself, I like to ask questions. Why did God begin this prophecy by saying, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given? Was he making sure that we understood that the sex or the gender of the child was going to be a boy? So he said, unto us a child is born, and by the way, it's a son. That's not what he's saying. He wasn't talking about gender here. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. There is a difference between a child and a son, amen? Not just a child, but a son. It speaks of a growing to maturity for the purpose for which the Father sent the Son. Let's go over to Galatians. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Here in Galatians chapter 3, Paul actually goes into chapter 4. Now remember, when the Bible was written, it didn't have chapter and verse. So sometimes we read to the end of a verse or we read to the end of the chapter and we stop and we think that that's where we break. But that's not necessarily so. It's important for us to read the scripture, to study the scripture in the context of what it's saying, right? Say right. All right. Here in in, uh, Galatians chapter 3, let's begin in verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all Look what it says, sons of God through faith. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. God's not just talking about the the gender of this child. He is talking about sending a, a child that will grow into a son. And there was a reason why he sent the child. Now Paul says the law was our tutor. The tutor was the schoolmaster that would take the child by the hand and lead him to the place in which he would learn and grow and mature and come into what? Sonship. And so Paul goes on and he says, There is neither, for as many of you, verse 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now look at chapter 4. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, 
does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. Unto us a child is born. Jesus was a child in that manger, but we're going to see later on he was much more than just a child. And the good news is not just that a child was born, but that a son was given. So he says a child doesn't differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so we, when we were children... We were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. See, what God wants us to do, this is why Paul says, I put away childish things. There has to be a growing up into maturity into all things to come to the fullness of the stature of Christ unto us a child was born unto us a son was given it speaks of the fact that there is a maturity that's taking place there is a coming to fruition there is a purpose this child was born and as he grows into the son as we come into the son As we come into the kingdom, Jesus said, as little children, we're not to remain as little children, are we? Except in malice, except in those things, but we are to grow up into the fullness, into the maturity of Christ. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Look what it says. And the government will be upon his shoulder. There is a time when this child, though he is Lord of all, laying in that manger, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, but there comes a point in time when he enters into the sonship, when he as the son, not as the child, but as the son, will receive and become the heir of what the father has purposed for him. And the government will be upon his shoulder. Do you believe That Jesus Christ, that babe laying in the manger, do you believe he was the son, the child that was born to us, the son that was given to us, and that God has placed the government upon his shoulder? Do you believe Jesus is capable of shouldering the load? Well, what about the Democrats and the Republicans? What about the Muslims? And what about the Chinese? And what about the communists? And what about the UN? They're trying to... See, where is our faith, church? Where is our faith? Are we putting more faith in what we read in the newspapers and watch on the news? Are we putting faith in what the Word of God, the eternal Word of God, declares about this child that was born to us, this son that was given to us? And God declared that the government would be upon his shoulder. That he is more than capable of shouldering this authority. And look what it says. And his name will be called. Do you see the emphatic language that God uses in his word? This this isn't speaking of something that might happen if we're really lucky. I mean, if, if everything falls just right... This might happen. We, we, might, we might pull this thing off if everything goes just right. Pray really hard that it goes just right. Otherwise, we might all be in trouble. No. 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 His name will 
be called. There's no question. 700 years before Jesus laid in that manger on that night in Bethlehem, the prophet wrote and said, His name will be called. There will be a child born to us. There will be a son given to us. And the government will be upon his shoulder. It's not might be if he grows up and and eats all of his peas and his spinach. No, it will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful. That word wonderful is an interesting word. It's not like chocolate ice cream or pizza is wonderful to you. We're going to have some wonderful barbecue today at 1.30. You ought to stay and partake. But I'm telling you what, this word wonderful here speaks of something greater than that. It speaks of something so wonderful, it's miraculously wonderful. I mean, when we consider this child that was born, this son that was given, it should cause us to be full of wonder in a way that, that is beyond anything that we can imagine. Anything that we could conjure up. His name will be called Wonderful. His name, look at this church, will be called Counselor. In every sense of the word. He is the Counselor. Right down to your most intimate personal problems. All the way up. To solving the problems of this world. He is the counselor. He will be called counselor. He will be called mighty God. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Do you see the deity there? Do you see what the prophet is proclaiming about this child that was born? This son that was given. The government is upon him who is called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. There is no fear of what might happen. There is no fear of failure. There is no fear that it will not come to pass exactly the way God has said it will. There is no fear. Because the government is upon his shoulder. Because it is in his name that we are trusting. The son has been given. And this is who the son is. He shall be called the prince of peace. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Now let me ask you this. See, do we, do we look at the scripture and do we see what God has declared eternally? Or are we moved by the things that we watch and read on our news and in our newspapers? Do you realize how bombarded you are with messages? And how susceptible we are to those messages? You know, when I went to, to, to the University of Texas, I got my degree in marketing. And they pay a lot of people a lot of money to do market research. You know why? Because it works. Because human beings are susceptible to words and images. And whether we want to admit it or not, we are swayed in our buying decisions. We are swayed in our brand loyalties. And don't think that Madison Avenue and Wall Street don't know it. That's why they pay so much money. Why do you think 
they pay millions of dollars for a half-minute ad at the Super Bowl. It's called exposure. But see, that's not the way of the kingdom. The kingdom is not Madison Avenue, and the kingdom is not Wall Street. But, but we need to guard our ears, and we need to guard our eyes. And there's a reason why the scripture says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll hear so many messages from so many directions, we'll begin to forget what God has eternally declared in his word. See, on that night, Jesus was born. He was born the Prince of Peace. Later on in his life, while he was still just, just probably less than two years old, when those wise men came, and they came to Herod, and they said, where is the king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. And Herod sent out his men and, and slaughtered hundreds and hundreds of little babies, two years old and under. Why? Because he was trying to get rid of the king of the Jews. When those babies were being slaughtered, let me ask you, was Jesus the Prince of Peace? Yes, he was. See, we forget. We say, when is Jesus going to come and bring peace to the earth? Honey, he is the Prince of Peace. He has brought peace to the earth. See, if, you're, if our peace is dependent on whether there's war in Iraq or Afghanistan, whether there's terrorists, whether there's conflict in our home or on our shores or, or wherever, if our peace is dependent upon what's happening in this world, then we have missed the message that God has sent to us through his Son. It's exactly why Jesus was in the back of that boat in the midst of that storm, asleep in perfect peace. And his disciples could not understand, how could you be sleeping, Jesus? We are about to die. Don't you care about us? He said, oh, you have little faith. See, the lesson is we can have peace in the midst of the storm. You know why? Not because there's not war. Not because there's not conflict. In spite of the war, in spite of the conflict, in spite of the death and the destruction that's all around us, you know why we can have peace? Because he is the Prince of Peace. 700 years before he was born and in, in laid in that manger, the prophet declared, he shall be called the Prince of Peace. And when he laid in that manger, he was the Prince of Peace. And today, in the midst of all the turmoil that's in the world, he is the Prince of Peace. He is. Here in Ephesians, it talks about how he himself is our peace. Ephesians 2.14. For he himself is our peace. He has made both one. He has broken down the middle wall of separation. He's abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances so as to create in himself one new man. That's why we don't war any longer. It doesn't matter whether I'm a Jew or whether I'm a Greek, whether I'm white or black or brown or yellow or purple or green. It doesn't matter what country I was born in. My nationality is Jesus Christ. My identity is Jesus Christ. My citizenship is in Jesus Christ. My life, my hope, my everything is in Jesus Christ. God has destroyed the enmity. He's brought peace by establishing one new man and he has given all men who have come into the one new man that same identity. That identity is Jesus Christ. And if you are in Christ, you dwell in the Prince of Peace. 
And he says, you can have a peace that passes understanding. Even though it doesn't make sense, there's war and there's terrorism and there's, there's bad policy and there's government corruption and there's all kinds of things going on that, that are trying to disturb your peace. But he says, be of good cheer. I've overcome all those things. He didn't say, I will overcome them. He said, I have overcome them. That's why the Bible declares that we are more than conquerors, that we are overcomers, that we can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. He is the Prince of Peace. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21 says, We have been committed. The, the, the ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation, has been committed to us. Paul says, we are like ambassadors pleading with you to be reconciled to God. In other words, come into his peace. Leave the conflict, leave the turmoil, and come into the one who is the Prince of Peace. There is a storm raging around us, but I am sheltered and refuged in the Prince of Peace. Peace is not something we're going to have one day when all the con- See, that's what the world thinks. That's Gentile mentality. That's, that's unbelief. That we're not going to have peace until all the wars are over, until all the conflict is gone. That day is coming, church. But I'm telling you what, Jesus did not leave us without peace until that day comes. He is our peace. If we think peace is what's happening out there or what's not happening out there, then we've missed the whole point of why the child was born and why the son was given. His name shall be called Prince of Peace. Now look at this in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now remember, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It spoke of a child, it spoke of a son. It spoke of a progression to maturity. Here he says, of the increase... Of his government and peace, there will be, what? No end. Of the increase. Now, we're not going to look at it today, but we're going to look at it next week. The prophecy in Daniel. When we see that rock cut out, not by the hand of man. And that rock grows and it fills the whole earth. It's a picture of the same thing Isaiah is talking about here. There is an increase of his government and his peace. Do we know it? See, if we're looking at everything out there to determine whether the increase of his government and peace is taking place, we're looking in the wrong place. What we're doing is we're looking to the world to be our peace. We're looking to the world and the world governments and the world systems to determine whether there's peace. There's never going to be peace in the world. We're not of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We are of Christ, the Prince of Peace. But we are in a world full of turmoil and everything that is contrary to peace. If we look at that which is contrary to peace and we judge our peace based on that which is not of what we are of, we've been deceived. We're looking exactly where the enemy wants us to look. We're looking exactly where the world is trying to pull our gaze to. 
God says, get your eyes back on Christ. Paul put it this way. He said, get your eyes off of earthly things and put them back on Christ. Things above. Things above what? Things above this earth. Things above this. It doesn't mean that we, we, we escape this earth or we shouldn't participate in things here. See, that's the mistake we've made as Christians. We just want to create our Christian bubbles. And we want to live within our, we're like modern day hermits. You know, when I went to Ireland, we went and saw the, the St. Kevin, 500 A.D. He established this monastery. You know where he built his church? He built his church right on the edge of this lake. That's like impossible to get to. I'm thinking about, dude, didn't the guy ever study advertising or marketing? Didn't he know anything about location? I mean, you, you, can't even, you can't even get to it. It's so remote. But that was his point. He carved his bed out of the rock and, and lived in a little cave. Now, I don't know why he did that. Maybe he had a reason for doing it. But in the history of Christianity, there's a lot of people that went off and secluded themselves, and they lived to themselves, and they just had this personal relationship with God. And we might say, well, that's wrong, but that's exactly what we're doing. See, we're not of the world, but we're in the world. Jesus said, you're to be salt in this earth. You're to be light. You're to make a difference. You're to make an impact. You're to let the world know that peace isn't dependent upon war or no war. Peace is dependent upon the Prince of Peace. And if you come to know the Prince of Peace, you too can enter into the peace that surpasses understanding. But if we're over here hiding out, writing our own, doing everything, and we become so exclusive to the world, the world can't identify with us. We can't identify with the world. We just separate. What are we doing? Remember I said a couple of weeks ago, what legacy what inheritance are we leaving those that are behind us? We are called to make an, an impact. We're going to look at this. This is the whole point of why the prophet wrote what he wrote. This is why he's telling us. He is prophesying to give us hope. He says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Tell me, when did the increase stop? Well, according to the scripture, it hasn't. When will it stop? Well, according to the scripture, it will not stop. You think Obama can stop it? You think the Chinese can stop it? What if they call in all of our dollars and crash our economy? Surely that will stop it. What if Wall Street crashes? Will that stop it? What if the, what if the uh, Mexicans attack? What if the Chinese attack? My God, what if the Canadians invade us? You can find every conspiracy theory out there. And they, you know what? Probably a lot of them are more, more true than we think they are. But even if it is so, let them do what they want to do. Go to Acts chapter 4. Right after Peter and John returned from a good beating and a good reprimand by the good religious leaders of their day, don't preach Jesus anymore. Peter and John go back to their compadres. Acts 4.23, it says, being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all to the chief and, and reported all that the chief priests and elders said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David 
have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. You know when David wrote that? About a thousand years before Jesus was born. And they're quoting David. In other words, let's put it in modern lingo. What are they going to do to us? Do they think they can stop the plan of God? For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, that, that, pretty, much, that pretty much puts everybody in one group that was against him. But what did they do? They were gathered together to do whatever, not they intended, but what you, what your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Why do the nations rage? Why do the kings plot vain things? Do they really think they can stop what God has initiated? Do they really think they can take the government off of his shoulder? Do they really think they can stop the increase of his government and of his peace? They can rage and they can plot all they want. You believe the newspapers? I'm going to believe this word right here. It says, of the increase. It's not hard to understand. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. I don't care what anybody does or what anybody says. Church, we got to get back to this word and we got to believe what this word says. What Jesus have you received? Have you received a Jesus that is subject to this world? A Jesus that is subject to the vain plottings of the rulers and the kings of this world? Absolutely not. You have received a Jesus who is shouldering the government and of the government and peace that he is shouldering, that he has authority over. The increase of it will not end. It has begun and it is going on and on and on. Well, what if we die, Pastor Jeff? Well, then we die and we go to see him face to face. But his peace and his government will go on. And, but what about 9-11, Pastor Jeff? What about it? It's a horrible tragic thing but he is still the prince of peace his government and his peace is still increasing but but my dog died yesterday pat i don't care i'm sorry my dog died about two months ago but he is still the the one who has the government and his government and his peace is increasing and it will not end it will not end it will not end how do you know because the word declares it go to isaiah 55 Isaiah 55. Now we like to quote this scripture. We like to throw out our refrigerator magnet scriptures and believe that anything we say, God's got to do. Honey, let me tell you what. You're not the master. He is. And just because you quote a scripture out in the air doesn't mean God's going to do it. Because that might have been your word. You might have been just saying what God said. But here's what God declares. And we should heed it and we should believe it. I won't read the whole thing because I don't want to run out of time here, but he talks about how the rain comes down from heaven. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the water come down to water the earth and make it bud and, and seed forth, so shall my word be that goes forth, Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void, 
But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So let's look at an example. For unto us a child is born. Was he born? Yes, he was. In spite of what Herod tried to do, he didn't kill Jesus. You know why? Because God said in his word, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. That is the word of the Lord. God sent it forth and he said, it will not return void. It will not. It will accomplish and it will prosper. It will not return void. You can believe CNN or you can believe this Bible. You can believe Bill O'Reilly or or whatever that other liberal guy is. I don't don't even want to know what his name is. (laughs) I don't watch them anymore because they make me mad. What are we going to believe? We're going to believe the word. We're going to believe the word. Of, his, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. Well, why, did, why did God put that phrase in there? You see that soft set by comets? It's to let you know, this isn't just any child, it's not any son, it's not any kingdom. This is the kingdom that has been prophesied from the beginning. All the way back to Genesis 3.15. The seed that was prophesied, the seed that would crush the head of the serpent. This is the one, he will rule on the throne of David. This is the kingdom that has been prophesied and promised from ancient, from days of old. This is the one you are looking for. This is the Messiah. The Christ of God, this is the one. He's going to rule on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To do what? To order it and establish it with what? With judgment and justice. To order it and to establish it with judgment and justice. It is this child, this son that will order and establish the government of his kingdom with judgment and with justice. Go to, go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. How did he order it and establish it with judgment and with justice? Well, let's let the scripture interpret the scripture. Let's not speculate. Let's let the scripture tell us exactly when and how Jesus did what he did. Here in John chapter 12, we're, we're within six days of the crucifixion of Jesus. John 12, 1 tells us that six days before the Passover, Jesus goes into Bethany and he goes to the house of Lazarus and he has a meal with Lazarus and Mary comes and anoints him with oil, signifying his burial, his death. And then he makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And now he is teaching the people and we come to, he's getting close. He says in verse 27, let's just go there. Um, uh, John 12, 27, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. For this purpose, he said, this is my purpose for which I came. And we see right there, Jesus is bringing about the fulfillment of what the prophet prophesied over 700 years prior to that. This purpose, I came to this hour. 
Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people stood by and they heard and they said, hey, it thundered. Others said, no, I think that was an angel. Jesus said, shut up. (laughs) No, he didn't say that. (laughs) I bet he felt like that sometimes, though. (laughs) Hey, what was that? Oh, I think it thundered. No, that was an angel. Be quiet. (laughs) This voice did not come because of me, but for you. Listen, God is trying to tell you something, is what he's saying. Are you guys listening? God is speaking. Church, are you listening? God is speaking. God is speaking right now. He is speaking today. Do you have ears to hear what he is saying? Do you have eyes to see what he is showing us? Jesus said, this is the reason I've come for this purpose. And Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now, look at verse 31. Not some future day. Now. Oh, that's important, church. Now is the judgment of this world. Now, is the, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And he's not talking about evangelistic preaching there. This was the judgment of the world. This was the judgment promised to Adam in the beginning at the garden. This is when the death sentence would be executed and it would fall upon Jesus. But Jesus would draw in his grace and in his mercy. He would draw all men to himself and he would establish and order his rule with judgment and with justice. Right here he says now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out if I be lifted up and he will be and he was. There was no doubt about it. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's four interesting phrases there. There's a phrase that is the first Adam and the last Adam. Who was the first Adam? Who was the first Adam? Adam. Who was the last Adam? Jesus Christ. There's another phrase. There's the first man, not the last man, but the second man. Who was the first man? Adam. Who is the second man? Does that mean Jesus was the second man? Weren't there more than two men? Oh, yeah. See, not second man individual. Second mankind. What happened to the first mankind? What happened to the first man? He fell. He died. He became eternally separated from God. Well, how are we going to fix that problem? Jesus said, we're going to kill him. That's how we're going to fix it. We're going to get rid of him. Because there's no redeeming him. He must die. Because God's not a liar. God said, the day you eat that fruit, you're going to die, boy. And God, true to his word, killed Adam right there when Jesus was lifted up on that cross. And he drew all men to himself. And he crucified the first man. And he went into the grave. And for three days he was there and he was resurrected in power. And he came forth, the second man, the new man, the new creation, the one man Ephesians 2 speaks of. That now in this one new man, God has brought all together. He has 
destroyed the enmity. He has destroyed the separation and the segregation. He doesn't distinguish anymore. There's only one man he knows. It is the new man, Christ Jesus. There's only one nationality he knows. It is the nationality of his son, Christ Jesus, the Lord of glory. There is only one that he recognizes. Are you in the one? Are you of the second man or the first man? It's exactly what Jesus meant when he said to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Why, Jesus? Because you're of the first man. And when I go to that cross, I'm going to establish the second man. You better get born again because if you're not born of the Spirit, you're not of the second man and you're dead in your sin. Eternally separated from me. To order it and to establish it, this kingdom, this government, this increasing, never-ending peace and rule, to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice. He did it right there on the cross. He executed justice. There was not a winking at sin. There was not a, a I'm going to turn my face and pretend you never did that, Adam. No. That would not be justice. But God established his rule, his kingdom, with judgment and with justice in Jesus Christ. Amen, church? From that time, look at this, from that time forward. From what time? From that time that he established his rule with judgment and with justice. From that time forward, even forever. When shall it end? It will never end. It is forever. From the time that child was born, I'm telling you what, he was born the Prince of Peace. He was born the Lord of Glory. He was born the one that would establish the rule with judgment and with justice. And when he grew up, and in that day in Jerusalem, Jesus said, now is the time. And what he was saying is, Father, now is the time for me to enter in to what you have ordained me to enter into. Now is the time for me to do what I have been purposed to do. He grew from a child, and he became the son, the only begotten son of the father. And the son took upon himself and took within himself all that God the father had purposed so that he could bring an end to one humanity and establish a brand new humanity and give hope to men who were eternally without hope, dead in their sin. But now we have hope in Jesus. Well, how do I go from the death of the old Adam into the life of the second man, the Lord from heaven? You do it by grace through faith. See, it didn't take anything for you to die. He crucified you on that cross. But you've got to identify with that crucifixion. You've got to understand what happened on that cross. And now by faith, you've got to enter into the life that he offers you now in his son. And when you enter into that life, you have entered into the increasing rule and government of his kingdom and of his peace. It is without end. That's how we can live in this world knowing we're not of this world and not be subject to the things of this world any longer. Let the kings plot. Let them rage and let them plan all the vain things they want to plan. They can plan the takeover of this world. It'll never happen. You know why? Because he is the king of glory. He is the ruler. 
And the scripture, regardless of what man says, the scripture says the increase of his government and the peace has no end. And his rule is forever. And what we see taking place, this is why the prophet, this is why Habakkuk says, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's not the glory of the Lord. We're not waiting for some manifestation of some thing to come down from heaven. It's the knowledge of the glory. How is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord going to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea? Ah, here's where our part comes in. Now, before we get to that, look what the last sentence of verse 7 says. From that time forward, even forever, period. Then he, the prophet makes a statement. And he says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. Let me just take a burden off of you right now. You're not going to perform it. That's not your burden to carry. If you think through your prayer initiatives or through your whatever, those are all good. We should pray and we should do all that. But if we think if we're carrying some burden, I've talked to two people this week who, who have ministries and they said, Brother, I've just come to the end of myself. I'm, I'm trying to do this and I, I'm, I'm so burdened by what's happening in the world and in our nation and, 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 and they're so disturbed. No peace. Somehow they were under the false illusion that somehow they are going to be the ones that's going to fix this problem. No, the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to perform it. We're not going to perform it. See, we're not, we're not going out trying to convince people to get saved. We're not trying to sell Jesus to the world and make Jesus look, well, if we could just get some more evidence, then the world might believe that Jesus really is. No, they're not going to believe. Present all the. Uh, do you know how much evidence there is? There's more evidence for this word being real. There's more evidence for Jesus Christ being who he says he is than, than, than you could ever study and take in. The evidence is overwhelming. Well, why don't they believe? Because they're blind. Because it's not based on evidence, it's based on faith. And you're going to have to come to a place where you die to yourself. You surrender your own will and you trust by faith in the one, the child who was born, the son who was given, the one who established and ordered it with judgment and with justice. See, the world doesn't like that, that type of language. They don't like that talk. They don't like to hear about judgment. They don't like to hear about justice unless it's social justice in some, just another way of taking over the world and ruling the world. You know, we're going to get rid of one dictator and we're going to put a benevolent dictator up there and he's going to know mm -mm. the old, the only benevolent ruler there is is jesus christ and so what's it say the zeal of the lord shall perform this it's not something we do it's the zeal of the lord we can only join it we can move with it but we or no one else can stop what god has begun it's his word it's his promise that's been prophesied and he will perform it regardless of what man does he will do it so what Isaiah prophesied was a foregone conclusion. There's no doubt, there's no room for questioning that this will be fulfilled. It has been, it is now, and it will continue to be fulfilled. What will? Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It is still increasing. It is still going forward. It is. And it's not going to end. There's no pause button. We haven't hit a pause button. There was an increase of peace. Now we're going to hit the pause button. We've got this long pause in between. No, that's not what the word says. There's no pause in the increase of his government and peace. It has been increasing. 
all along. The question is, do you have eyes to see and ears to hear? That's why Jesus asked that question. He said, for those that have eyes to see, let them see. For those that have ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus, why do you talk in parables? For those that have ears to hear, let them hear. See, we of all people ought to see the increase of his government and his peace moving forward. But if we're looking in the wrong place, we're not going to see it. If we're trying to measure it by the world standards, there ain't much peace out there, is there? But if we measure it by the Prince of Peace, He is, period. He is the Prince of Peace. That's it. Go to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2. And I'm closing. I know y'all don't believe me, but I really am. Luke chapter 2. And here recorded in Luke's gospel is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The very first phrase, for unto us a child is born. And here are the shepherds out in the field. And on this night, it says, the angels appeared to them. Verse 10, then the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all men. All people, that includes us. That word was written, not to us, but it was written for us. We are part of the all people that this good news applies to. And verse 11 says, for there is born to you this day. I mean, that day. That baby was laying in those swaddling cloths. That day, that very moment. There is born to you this day in the city of David. Someone who might one day become a savior if everything goes just right. Uh Uh-uh. There is born to you this day a savior. Was he the savior when he laid in that manger? Or did he become the savior when he died on the cross? When he raised from the dead? No, he was the savior right there. Matter of fact, I'll go one step before before he ever manifest in that manger, before he ever manifest in this temporal realm, he was the Savior. He was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. He is, he was, he is, and he will always be the Savior. But look, he's not just a Savior. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Period. That period is important. What are you going to add to Christ the Lord? Well, he doesn't look like a Lord. He doesn't look like mighty God laying wrapped in those cloths in a manger. His parents so poor they couldn't even get a hotel room. They couldn't even make preparation for, for, for them to be there ahead of time. I mean, born into abject poverty. He doesn't look like mighty God. He doesn't look like the everlasting. He doesn't look like he's very mighty. He doesn't look like he's very wonderful. He just looks like a any other baby. When they took him into the temple to dedicate him, he looked like every other baby. Do you know how many people passed by the baby Jesus and paid him absolutely no mind? But there was Simeon and there was Anna. They had eyes to see because they had ears to hear what the Spirit of God had spoken to them and they held on to the promise of God's word. They knew Isaiah 55, 11. They said, God, you spoke this word, and I'm going to hold on to it. You said I wouldn't die before I see the Messiah. You're Christ. 
And there they are, so ancient they can probably barely get into the temple. And while everybody else is paying no mind, he's just like any other baby being carried into that temple. But for those that have eyes to see, when they latched on, when their eyes fixed on that baby Jesus, they had a hallelujah breakdown because they saw the Savior, the Christ, who is the Lord. Simeon said, I can go home now. God, take me home. I'm ready to go. I've seen the promise fulfilled. Church, do we know the Jesus that we have received? Do we know the Jesus we have received? Do we know what we have been brought into? Do we know what we have been made a part of by His grace? Part of a government and a peace that is increasing and has no end. It's increasing in spite of the war, in spite of the terrorism, in spite of the depression, in spite of everything. It is increasing and it will increase and it will never, ever, ever stop increasing. It will not Because God has promised that it will not. And it is not up to us. It is the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will perform it. And with the birth of Jesus began the increase of this government and this peace. Really before the birth of Jesus. Because it was already ordained. So what's our response? What's our response to this? Newsflash. Go to Matthew 28. Remember I said we can't change anything? Do you, do you realize that? You can't change anything. I, I, somebody, I responded to um, something someone had requested online and I, I, I sent a, a response back to them. We're not called to preach the gospel to change the world. Do you know that? We are called to preach the gospel because the world has been changed. See, there's a big difference. See, we think we're going to change the world. We think we're going to, the church is going to change the world. The church ain't going to change anything. Jesus has already changed it. You know what we're doing? We are simply proclaiming what he has already done. We are simply proclaiming what he has already set in motion. We're not trying to make him Lord. Well, you need to make Jesus Lord of your life. No, he is Lord of your life, whether you know it or not. If you don't believe me, one day you're going to stand before him and your knee is going to bow and your tongue is going to confess whether you want to or not. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's not a matter whether we're going to make him Lord. He is Lord. That's what the angel said. Today, this day, born to you in the city of David, is a Savior who is Christ the Lord, period. He is the Lord. The question is, are we going to join and be a part of what this Lord of glory is doing. Can you, can you begin to sense? I mean, think about it, church. I mean, we're talking about things that have been ordained before the foundations of this created order. And God in His grace, through His Son, has called us and invited us to be a part of what He is doing. My God! Can we grasp that? It is amazing. It's wonderful. There is something wonderful. It's why his name shall be called wonderful. He has invited us to be a part of that. And we're not trying to go out and change the world and make him Lord. He is 
Lord, and he has already changed the world when he said, now the judgment of this world has come. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. If I be lifted up, and he was lifted up, and he was buried, and he rose again. And he ascended to the Father. And when he ascended to the Father, it was given unto him. All authority was given unto him. How do we know? Because it's what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been, past tense, done, deal. It's given to him. There is no authority that exists outside of Jesus. And any authority the enemy has or any authority you have... You only have it because God, who is the authority, allows you to have it. That's it. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? Go, therefore. Why are we going? He didn't say go change the world. He said go and proclaim what has already been done. A Savior has already been born. A Savior has already died. A Savior has already risen again. We're not going to try to make something happen. It's already happened. And we are proclaiming the finished work of Christ. What if men don't believe? Then they don't believe. And they condemn themselves to an eternity separated from God. It's not your responsibility to make them believe. It is your responsibility and my responsibility to proclaim his kingdom. To proclaim his gospel. To proclaim his life. And to allow that life that is in us. See, this is real important. To allow that life that's in us to be manifest through us. See, we've got to be more than just mouthpieces for Jesus. We've got to be the very express manifestation of his life in the earth. We're not to seclude ourselves and to lock ourselves up and wait to be taken out of here. We are to go into this world and be salt. We are to go into this world and proclaim what the prophets have proclaimed. And in God's time, when, it's, when he says it's time, he's going to wrap it all up. This is why the creation groans. I can't go there. I've got to go there next week. But we're going to look at this next week. Exactly. The creation knows it better than we know it. So we're going to stop right there. It's not what might happen. It's what's already been done. We need to proclaim what God has proclaimed. We have a reason to rejoice. We have a reason to have hope. Amen? Our response has got to be to go therefore because he has all authority. He has commissioned us and commanded us to go and to make disciples. Proclaim this Jesus who is the Christ, the Lord of all, the King of kings. Amen? Praise God. Let's all stand.